0: Welcome to the Island Podcast. This is Olivier Legree, your host from the Island. This is the second episode of our summer series about conceptual artists and contemporary generative artists. Sébastien Montabonel, CEO of the Islands, once again joins me to talk about the role of museums and galleries for on-chain art. In our discussion, we will cover essential aspects such as the pivotal role of museums and galleries, the question of co-creation, and innovative approaches to displaying on-chain art. We will also share except from our interview with Tyler Hobbs discussing those topics. First, let's explore the topic of institution and the potential integration of on-chain art into the collection of most museums. Sebastian, how close are we to realizing
1: this vision? Well, it's a combination of a of a few things. One that that will make a huge difference is, I don't know if you remember earlier on, I talked about two galleries in Europe that really supported the movement. One gallery was Konrad Fischer and the second one was Einer Friedrich. Einer Friedrich was really like a genius uh, on his own and he married the French heiress from the Schlumberger family that made a huge amount of uh, money in the oil and what we're going to call the domenile in the U.S., and he's gonna marry this uh, billionaire, and that's when they're gonna start the first one of the project. Will be Marfa and then of course you have the private museum, the Domenil Museum in uh, in Houston, where they're gonna commission also the Rothko Chapel, then Flavin, Site Twombly, and from there they're gonna enter the Pantheon of uh, of the art world. So you had this and. The two big collectors at the beginning that I was telling you about, the Panza, so it became the Panza collection, and the Marzona collections, these two also, they're going to become uh, royalties. <laughs> Altogether, the combination of uh, big committing, uh, committed collectors, plus a lot of uh, money and, and building s- some of the most important uh, artwork in the, in the world after it was difficult for the institutions to to pretend that it never existed. So to have a very healthy ecosystem for the generative arts, you need the same. You need uh, powerful uh, patrons, art patrons, powerful collectors and powerful galleries all together on the long term always
0: work. Beyond powerful patrons and collectors, redefining the rules is another possible approach. How did artists like Soléwit and his contemporaries manage to redefine the rules of their time?
1: So that whole generation that I was telling you about, including Sol Lewitz, in the 60s, it's the end of modern art and we are moving to contemporary arts. Contemporary art was not even a word at the time. And one of the things that was really, really important to be a contemporary artwork was the idea that the work could be a multiple, so an addition, so it couldn't be unique, that the end of the artist had to be removed from the work. And basically, when you look at all this rule that they set up, the only medium that didn't make it to contemporary art was painting. And this was for the market that was making absolutely no sense, even for art historians. How can painting not be a work of art? I mean, it was a work of art, but it was not contemporary art. And so, Lewitz say okay, if we want paintings... To be a contemporary artwork, we need to change a lot of the parameters. And one of the parameters was it cannot be done by the artist. So that's when he started to, to do a set of instructions. He got rid of the canvas. The wall directly became the canvas, and the size was variables. And, and this set of instructions will be reinterpreted by whoever, so often by art students, and that was the way, and it could be repeated endless time. So there was no addition. So the work every time was somehow unique, but based on the same set of instruction. And that was probably, at the time, the biggest uh, revolution in the in the contemporary art world. But we also have Andy Warhol, who was not working according to a set of instruction, but used screen printing to make sure that if he wanted to repeat the work, he could. And he absolutely refused to sign the works. So we know now that Andy Warhol never signed any of his works, but the galleries couldn't sell them without a signature. So the signature that you have at the back is often from Leo Castelli or Bruno Bischofberger, the two galleries that was representing Andy Warhol at the time. But at the end, the market is the market, and we cannot ignore the market. The market has certain requirements, and galleries can survive because of the market. And at one point,
0: you end up with something that's Painting is back again. And what about co-creation? One of the latest pieces by Tyler Hobbs, QQL, gave the audience the power to play with parameters and create their piece. Isn't something new? But in the
1: 50s and 60s, uh, Art concret, with uh, François Morellet and uh, what we're going to call the Grave, Groupe de recherche d'art visuel, they're going to definitely play with the audience. And when I say play with the audience, it means the audience were integral part of the artwork. And, and that's what we call participative works. And then we have Hans Hacker, also famous uh, for systematic art, will ask a set of questionnaire to the artists, sometimes political, sometimes non-politicals, but you had that was a big part of uh, late fifties, early sixties. What we're going to call participative work. Later on, kind of uh, more or less uh, disappeared. And all these works, uh, like François Moralet, I bought one for a collection that I was building. A piece by ni- from nineteen seventy three that at the time nobody wanted to buy. Suddenly, when uh, we landed to a museum, we had to do an insurance valuation, and there was one point two millions. So suddenly the idea that the viewers can play with the work
0: becomes just a, a mental idea. <laughs> <laughs> and as this tradition becomes more prominent, the traditional nature of galleries must adapt and evolve. What is your perspective on this shift? And how do you envision galleries transforming in response to this new movement?
1: Every time you have a new movement, a new market... The system is not in place, meaning the galleries, it's going to be very difficult to represent a new type of art. It's going to be difficult to, to find new collectors. Like in that case, you, you're going to challenge displays. Galleries might not be ready for this. So it will take time before the, the galleries uh, system adapts itself to that new movement and new generation. So at the beginning, it's quite common that uh, they do it on their own. They do direct sell. Now you can use a marketplace like Artblocks. But the role of a gallery is not only to sell. Actually, they sell very rarely. They allow you to close a sale, which is very different. But they help you for the display. They allow you to make introduction to a new collector base, allow you to make connections with museum, museum curators, art historians, help to do parallel where you won't be able to do, put you in group shows, basically help you to build a career. So seeing a gallery just as a, as a shop, it's missing the boat in there. And, and at the moment, that's what we have. The marketplace are there as a shop. They're distributing your work for sale only, but there's no real representation. After you will, uh, you will need gatekeepers. And we can see with Tyler Hobbs, the price are getting high. And it's important to keep them high. When your only reference is the market, then it becomes very, very tricky. So you need different values for work to get validated and last in time.
0: Interestingly, this question has also been asked to Tyler Hobbs during our interview session. Let's hear what he has to say on this topic.
2: I think, it's, I think it's fair to ask this question about um, any sort of institution, galleries or, or museums or foundations. I think that there's, there's a couple of important roles. So the main contributions come through sort of curation and information, education and, and presentation. So the advantage that these folks have typically is that they have a much more thorough knowledge of art history, of the current art scene, of, all, of the artists working on the scene of those artists' uh, full body of work, and they're able to hopefully make much more informed selections of what what artists they want to present and how they want to show that work and how they want to talk about that work. And hopefully, they're able to really tell the story well to connect those ideas to larger art history, kind of like we're doing here today. And they're able to, yeah, really make this work hopefully a- approachable and understandable for. For the audience, these are these are like the main contributions that I see that that a gallery and a museum can play. In terms of sales, you know, I don't know. I I think that um, I don't think that Web three is going to completely change everything, but I do think it uh, does change the balance. I think that it does empower the artist pretty significantly. For example, for me, I've made uh, most of my sales on my own. I've worked with um, some really excellent galleries to put together physical shows, but I also haven't signed any sort of representation agreement so there can be kind of a balance of of the two you know i'm I'm sort of uh fortunate in the web3 space that this has allowed me to be very independent and, and to be very selective about what kind of agreements i make and what kind of arrangements i make with somebody like a gallery in, in many ways i'm in a much stronger position than say a painter or any artist working you know 10 years ago would be. So, I think the balance is shifting, but I I I would not expect, you know, galleries to to disappear. I think that just their exact role will change a little bit and some of the dynamics may change a little bit, particularly for digital artists. And I'm just going to add a, a tiny bit. I
1: think if we look at the top end of the uh, the art world, the galleries, they're not a retail shop. So, they do a lot more than uh, selling. They they organize big massive uh, exhibition, museum exhibition and and uh, Tyler, I think at the beginning, to, to be introduced to a, to a wider um, audience than the Web3, we need to understand how the works work. So having an exhibition where we'll have uh, Agnes Ma- Martin, Tyler, Sol Lewitt, and maybe a, a couple of others will be incredible. And then people start writing about it, that the gallery can commission art historian. So all this help to contextualize and help for the transfer of knowledge to and this is key i think much more than the cell things when it comes agreed. to the cells you are you're sorted
2: agreed yeah absolutely absolutely very well said
0: the transfer of knowledge plays a significant role in the function of a gallery however do you believe the current lack of suitable displays option pose a challenge specifically how did soliwit address the issue of displaying his artwork in a meaningful way
1: Part of the wall drawings, the set of instructions was to realize the work. And how the work was realized was put in the set of instructions. So he will say, first you put a primer, a white primer, then you put a black, then red, then white. And so it will, it will totally control the way the work will be shown and display. And if you wanted a matte effect or if you wanted a deep, dark black, all this was controlled. And probably at the beginning, that's why the NFT movement didn't get so much recognition. It's because in their work, there was a purely intellectual work and the display, when it comes to display, they were falling short and they didn't really put so much attention. And as a visual artist, at least in the contemporary art world, you have expectations to cover that that side of the work, which is the display. With Tyler, that was integral part of his work and he knew how the work will be displayed and... So so this was really uh, interesting. But for other artists, they fell a bit short. At least with generative photography, they cover the display approach of, uh, of their work. It's, it's still a bit problematic. But now we see artists thinking more and more about how the work should be represented and how we live outside the on-chain. And, and that's going to be a really important part of if we want the movement to live
0: forever. Being included in a museum's collection is often seen as a way for artworks to endure and have a lasting impact. Which museum do you believe are best positioned to play a pivotal role in the realm of on-chain art?
1: Well, that's a very tough question. We know that we've been offered uh, to to curate an exhibition uh, in uh, Switzerland in a public museum and to create relationship between Tyler Hobbs and works from the from the 60s and I really hope it's gonna happen so we're working on this but at the moment it's going to be a slow process Uh, we need to find curators that are really strong in their 60s in the 60s in that movement and see the relationship that they could have with other generative art at the moment the bridges are not there yet and I guess some of the job of the island that's what we are trying to create bridges between the institutional world and that new era of a uh, digital artist. But for the moment, it's going to take a bit of time.
0: Thank you very much for listening until the end of this island podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, the island underscore IO and on our website, theisland.io. See you next time.